You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the fabulous 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones, and also there is no flash photography, please. Welcome to the 54 Below podcast. My name is Kevin Ferguson, and I'm an assistant programming director here at the club. Our guest today is fresh off of his Broadway debut as Prince Charles in the popular hit musical, Diana the Musical. He is also making his solo debut at 54 Below. His theater credits include The Bad Guys and No One Loves You, along with many other appearances on stage. You may have seen him on Madam Secretary, along with Boardwalk Empire, The Get Down, Empower, and so many other TV shows, along with films like Equity and Netflix comedy, The Game Over. The credits go on and on. Everyone, please help me welcome the one and only Ro Hartram. Ro, welcome to the podcast. Kevin, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. This is fabulous. I mean, you came to this Broadway world and I just feel like it is time. It is finally time for you to come to the one and only 54 Below and it's happening. Yes, yes. From your lips to the producer's ears, it is happening. We're here. I could not be more excited. Yes, but before we get into talking about your new solo show at 54 Below, I want to talk to you about just your life so the people and the listeners are getting a good, good feeling of getting to know you today, okay? Perfect. Yeah, I love that. I like to always figure out how this all started. Like, when did the theater bug happen for you? Where were you? At what age? How did it happen? Yeah, it, it bit early. It bit early and it stuck. I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And mm. when I was a kid, my parents tossed me into the church choir because I was pretty rambunctious and I couldn't really sit still, you know, and, and pay attention during church and things like that. Mm-hmm. So tossed me in the church choir and I really loved that, but I was cutting up in church choir also. So luckily <laughs> the conductor, Cack Whitaker, instead of punishing me, asked me if I was interested in doing the musicals. He tossed me on stage and we were doing little, you know, like... Bible stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jonah and the Whale, stuff like that. And I was able to still cut up, but instead of a punishment response, it was an, a laughter or an applause response. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. You know, this is exactly what I want to do. So luckily my parents uh, were on board and I started doing community theater and, and productions at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta when I was in like elementary school. Wow, that is very impressive. I mean, the Alliance Theater is one of the, you know, Everyone knows that regional theater and the fact that you had such access to it at such an early age, I know that was able to really guide you on this journey for sure. Absolutely. I mean, the level of professionals that I was working with in like fourth and fifth grade, let me know like how to behave in a room, like what is expected of you in rehearsal. And then also the fact that, you know, you can make a living and have a family working in a theater. So when I then got into junior high and high school plays, you know, with kids in my age, I was confused. I was like, why are you uh, goofing off? Like, let's pay attention. This is very serious. <laughs> yes, you were that kid. I was. You're like kind of like Rachel Berry. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> very serious kid. This is drama club. We have to take it seriously. That's right. I had my tape recorder <laughs> back in the day when you had to have your personal tape recorder for music rehearsal. I was like, stop yes. and start. That is so I'm good. there. Okay, so you had such full education at such an early age. Did you want to go to college? Did you go to college or what was after high school for you? Yeah, after high school, I definitely had the bug and I thought that going to school was the right way to approach becoming a professional. 
because I didn't know many people in my immediate circle. No, no one in my family was a performer and there wasn't anyone necessarily like that I was connected to who had done this professionally. And I went to a very type A school. So mm-hmm. my college counselors were like, well, you've got to go to a good school. And then once you go to the right theater school, then you'll get the right agent and then you'll become a successful actor. So I thought, okay, cool. Just A to B to C. That's as simple as it is. So I was obsessed with going to New York. And so I became obsessed with NYU. I went to summer camp at NYU first. So the summer before senior year of high school, I got into the musical theater program at Tisch Summer High, which is a crazy experience. And got to live live in the city, live in the dorms, which really made me catch the bug. And I was dead set on going to NYU. I auditioned as early as possible, like early decision, didn't even audition for any other schools, which in hindsight, I was like, well, I could have gone and just looked at some other schools, but that at was not least. an option. So I was in, I was into NYU by like Christmas of my senior year. Mm-hmm. So my second semester senior year was just completely goofing off, just yeah. like having a blast. It was great. You're like, I'm going, I don't even care. Yeah. I don't care what's happening here anymore. Exactly. So I went to, <laughs> I went to NYU for three and a half years, finished early, but I studied at the uh, Stella Adler program. So not the musical theater program. And then I did sort of extracurricular musicals on the side. Wow. So you said, I'm going to take the curriculum and I'm going to add to it, you know, because I still want to do this musical theater. (laughs) That is commitment. Right, exactly. (laughs) That's how you know you love what you do. Because in school, I was doing the bare minimum, okay? I did barely (laughs) enough to get the Bs, okay? That was me in academics. I was like, I couldn't tell you a single academic course I took at NYU. Okay. Except for like... Maybe one. I took an art history class that I liked. But besides (laughs) that, I was like, what? I have to take what? Sociology? Who? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. So you went to NYU. Did you stay in New York? You've been in New York, kind of like New York based since then? Yeah. I've been in New York almost as long or longer than I grew up in Atlanta now. It's kind of wild. Wow. Wow. I did have one year and a half that was sort of the lost year where I moved to Los Angeles. Mm. And, you know, I feel like everybody who's a New York actor has that should I or shouldn't I moment. Like, maybe mm-hmm. I got to be in L.A. Maybe I got to be out there. And it was a total ghost town for me. It was not the right move. It was not wow. my vibe. But the the good thing that came out of that was while I was in Los Angeles was when I auditioned for Diana initially. Mm-hmm. Mm. I made a tape in my bedroom in Los Angeles for the Diana musical. And then it ended up the first round of Diana was in uh, La Jolla, just like three hours south of L.A. So I just drove there. Wow. And I mean, you said it, so let's talk about it. Diana the Musical. Like, (laughs) let's talk about it. You made your Broadway debut, which congratulations still. Like, that is so fabulous. So huge. How do you even prep for taking on Prince Charles? Like, it's Prince, it's the Prince Charles. You know what I mean? Like, capital T, capital P, the Prince. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if we have enough time on this podcast. We might need a whole other podcast to dive all the way into this. Right. But the prep was almost like one of the most fun parts for me. I love accents. I love impressions. I feel like I'm a good mimic. So when I was prepping for the initial audition, I was just watching YouTube videos. And the one that stuck out to me the most that ended up being useful because there's a whole song in the show based on this interview is the initial interview that Charles and Diana gave as their sort of debut as an engaged couple, the the engagement Mm -hmm. announcement. And they're both young and shy and nervous, and they don't seem like they really like each other. And Charles makes this comment, 
where the interview asks them like, oh, I assume you're very much in love, right? Because neither of them have said like, I love this person. He says, I assume you're very much in love. And Charles sort of rolls his eyes and scoffs and says, yes, well, whatever love means anyway. And so just like working on that, that sort of like highbrow, borderline condescending, but also, you know, self-deprecating energy within that accent was, was a really fun entry point to prepare for the role. Yeah. I mean, you're playing such a public figure, you know what I mean? So there are people who have done their research just about print, the print, you know what I mean? So they're coming to see the show, looking at you as well, making sure you're getting all the nuances down. Do you feel like it was a more challenging role for you? Or did you kind of feel like it came natural? Like, did you have to fully transition or did you feel like you kind of connected with him? I feel like I did connect with him in in a funny way where... I sort of, I felt for him. I felt a lot of empathy mm-hmm. for him being in the position that he was in, which outwardly is factually is a position of intense privilege. Like mm-hmm. he's one of the most wealthy and well-known people in the world, doesn't have a specific job, you know what I mean? Just like, you know, gets to sort of work on projects and do his own thing. But I really felt for him in the way that, you know, he wasn't able to live his life exactly how he wanted to. Everyone was watching, everyone had an opinion. And he was trying his best to split the difference, right? He was trying to thread the needle in, let me do what my country and my family expect of me, but also let me try and live the life that I want to live at the same time. And so I sort of had empathy for the good intentions that he had and the errors that he Mm -hmm. made. And one of the things that I felt like was really helpful and generous on the part of Chris Ashley, our director, was that he continually told us as performers, we're not trying to make a documentary here. Mm-hmm. which I really appreciate. So the pressure was sort of off in terms of the accuracy of the impression. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, I want us to tell the story that Joe DiPietro and David Bryan have written here on this page, as opposed to remaking The Crown or making a documentary about these people. Let's try and tell this story as it is on the page and not get bogged down or stressed out about other people's perceptions of these real life people as they walk in the door. Yeah, yeah. Real life people. And that is the part that I just feel so connected to every time I see a musical that is about real people and their tragic lives, because it just feels so human and reminds us that these mega stars that we're making these musicals about at the end of the day were humans. And I just think that is just so important to remember in the theater. Definitely (laughs) makes you leave feeling that, you know? And especially especially something like musical theater, right? Where it it requires you to suspend your disbelief so much. Not only did these real historical figures not stand still on a stage and speak for you in costume, they certainly didn't ever sing their thoughts and feelings. So I think it is nice to use this sort of like larger than life medium to bring us back to the very human center of these characters we think we know. Yeah, totally. Now let's talk about the idea of it being your debut and it's that big of a role you know yeah how did broadway embrace you i mean the diana fans the Dianas, i think is what yeah. some people were calling them were Absolutely. like really committed to the show yes how did broadway and the fans what, what was that feeling like it was better than i could have imagined it was everything i ever mm-hmm. asked for i mean the only thing I, that would have been even better is if we had run longer i suppose right but yeah given the circumstances that we were in there really was not i could not have asked for a better welcome or a better role to make my debut in. It was a lot of responsibility. I had some early days, I was feeling a lot of imposter syndrome, like, mm-hmm. you know, I've never done this before on this level. Am I gonna be able to pull this off? But the support that I felt from not only our creative team and our producers and my cast, but from the community at large 
you know, the the response from the people who really got the show and were really passionate about the show was so welcoming and so warm that it was everything I, I imagined it would be. It was incredible. Yeah, I bet. Like you said, it, it was short-lived. Do you feel like the critics were just like missing the mark? There was a very clear intention that I feel like we at 54 and me when I saw it, I understood what the director was trying to do because I feel like the fans loved it and I got it, but the critics, how was that received? How do you feel about that? You know, it's so layered, but like, I think it's exactly what you said. The, the folks who got it really got it. Mm-hmm. And I think that what what I kept trying to encourage people to do whenever I had a conversation with someone who was bringing their parents or someone who was flying in to see the show that I knew, I was like, please just try and leave your expectation at the door. Yeah. And I think that when look, you know, going way, way, way back when we first started working on this show, when Joe and David first started writing the show, it was like 2017. Mm. I first auditioned for the show in 2018. So there was not as much Diana content out there as there was by the time we actually opened fully on Broadway in 2021. Mm. So I think that folks by that time had been so flooded with what they had come to expect was the proper, quote unquote, proper tone for a Diana show. Mm-hmm. That they were coming in, maybe expecting it to be like The Crown or like Spencer, mm-hmm. which are both incredible pieces of art in their own way that were very different and separate from our show. Mm-hmm. So I think that folks, if you came in expecting one thing and then all of a sudden it's a rock concert with uh, Judy Kay in a bright pink boa, you know, dancing yeah. like a fairy godmother, you might yeah. sit back in your chair and say, wait a minute, this isn't my Princess Diana or this isn't what I was expecting. And what our hope was, was that the performances and the show as a whole would win you over enough that by the end of act two, you'd be like, I got to come back and see this again. But some folks, I don't know that they could get over that initial roller coaster drop of like, okay, this is the kind of show that I'm seeing. And I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. Yeah. So I think that the critical response was, in my opinion, overly harsh, like the tone Mm -hmm. that was taken sometimes. I was like, come on, y'all, this is, it's, it's a musical. Like, let's, yeah. Let's relax a little bit. But, it, you know, people take Diana and her legacy very, very personally. And the funny thing about it is so do we. Like us as, right. as the people who created Diana, the musical, take it very personally. And mm-hmm. we were trying to highlight the playful, light, youthful side of Diana that was really a part of her personality. And less so the, you know, with with sprinklings of the sort of stately, serious tone or, or the places where she had to be very, very serious, but also trying to highlight, like, she was a human being who loved fan of the opera. She loved very lighthearted stuff. And I think she would have thought that this show was very charming and funny. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, who else gets to have a musical written about them? It would have been an honor. I feel like she would have loved it, but, you know, I can't speak for her. But I just feel like, yeah, like you said, the people who got it, got it. And they loved yes. y'all. Like, the fan yep. base was crazy. Now, my question is, like you said, y'all started this you got your first call about this in 2018. A lot of people don't realize to be a part of an original cast or an original show, you might be with it longer than it even runs on the big stage. Oh, you know absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. So when things like this, it takes years to make a musical, what happens when in the middle of making of all those years of making that musical, a pandemic happens? Ooh. Again, this is that's a third podcast we got to do. This is a whole, <laughs> we're, we're just stacking all. We got yeah, at least three okay, podcasts inside okay. this one. You know, it was a total shock. And it's so funny now looking back, it, it almost feels like it was a dream. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, we did do that. That is something that happened. It was such a huge like emergency break on this roller coaster ride that I was ready to go on because it was so much ramping up, so much energy in 2020 when we were supposed to be opening in uh, March 31st of 2020, which is a very funny date now. Mm-hmm. So we were really on edge for like, how is this going to be received? Are we ready? We're making a lot of changes and previews. All those things were happening. And then we're sent home. And looking back now, I'm I'm just so grateful that I was a part of the sh- of that show when the pandemic hit, honestly, because even though it was a heartbreaker to be delayed and pushed back, our producers really, really fought to keep us together as a cast, to let us know that they were making plans, they were scheming on ways to get us back together, to get us paid, to get us healthcare, all those things. They, they never really cut the cord. It was never like, mm. see ya if we, if we see ya. We were in constant communication. And then they found ways to continue to work on the show. So David and Joe went back to their, you know, the writing table and came up with a whole new opening of the show. Then they got us, they got us together on a Zoom workshop. Yes. So they, yes, they paid us a full equity rate for a month long workshop over Zoom in the middle of a pandemic, which was incredible. We got healthcare weeks and all that stuff. And at the end of that, they announced like, we have some, some really big news that we can't quite tell you yet. And it took another couple of weeks and they sent us an email saying Netflix has agreed to take this on. We're going to film this as a movie. We're going to make this happen. So I'm just, I was so ultimately so grateful for the creativity and the sort of a chutzpah, if that's the right way to use that word, that our producers had to say, you know what, we're going to try and make this other thing happen to guarantee that we can come back and to guarantee that our show makes its mark. Yeah. Again, you know, the response to that film, I think, was skewed because we filmed it in gosh, what was that? September of 2020, which is Mm -hmm. months, months and months and months before a vaccine. Like Mm -hmm. vaccines were a rumor. We were like, fingers crossed. We might get it. We might not. It might be next summer. We don't know when we'll have a vaccine. So it was like scary times. If you got sick, it was like game over. We all had to bubble. It was really intense. And we made this thing happen. And the idea was trying to get content, especially theater content out to an audience who was stuck at home. Hmm. We don't know when Broadway's gonna be back live, so please enjoy this experimental live capture slash film with no audience on a streaming platform at, at your leisure. Please enjoy. Yeah. So that was the original intention as I understood it. That being said, it was also a commercial for our show, right? So they wanted yeah. to use it as a promotional tool for when the show came back live. Now, the live return was much, much, much delayed as we all know. So we initially thought we were coming back in spring of 21. That didn't happen. Then we thought it may be summer 21, then it was going to be fall 21. So they held the movie back until October of 21, a year after we filmed it. So by that time, everyone had already gone back to the movie theater. That summer was like, oh, COVID's Mm -hmm. gone. Like, oh man, total free for all. You know, Cuomo said (laughs) weed and Broadway for everybody. Like, just go for it. No masks. (laughs) And by the time it came out, people were like looking at it as though it were a fully produced proper film. Mm. And I think they were judging it on the level of like the Hamilton live capture or something. Mm-hmm. When I wanted to be like, y'all, this was an yeah. experiment. Okay. Like this is all brand. This is basically a previews process. Like we yeah. rehearsed that new couple opening numbers for like two weeks, re-choreographed the whole opening, put it on film for y'all to enjoy in the pandemic 
And I think people just looked at it like it was meant to be a super polished, like mm -hmm. Netflix extravaganza when what it was initially intended to be was something to tide people over or like bring us all together in the middle of the depths of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I think people were eager to forget about those dark times. Yeah. And by the time fall of 21 rolled around, everyone was ready to dunk on whatever they could, yeah. you know, on Twitter, which is, uh, is what happened. Oh, man. I just feel like it's still like, I don't know. I love the Diana musical because it just gives me hate is going to hate, but we still going to be fierce. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like yep. the idea that <laughs> Netflix called y'all and ain't never seen the show. Do y'all know how iconic that is? That is yeah, fabulous. We, they, I think they sent them a recording of a Zoom where wow. with, with like all of us sitting, you know, in little squares. And like the, I think the instruction from Chris Ashley was like, make sure you leave your camera on. And while we're playing the audio of you guys singing, because you can't sing on Zoom, please just sort of act the intention of the song into your camera. We're like, what? They're like, yeah, just give just give us face. Don't mouth the words, just give us face. And we were like, why are we doing this? And later on we learned is because, oh yeah, the Netflix executives were watching. Like we had to like try and act a little bit for them. Netflix is literally watching. That's so fierce. Okay, so you're like, you know, leading man, you're on Broadway. Was there any moment where you got starstruck? Who came up and talked to you backstage? Oh man, I mean, uh, you know, because it was a different time, like yeah. we really didn't get the back, the full backstage experience. Yeah. Early days, though, I got really starstruck when Nina West came to see our show, yes. like one of the drag queens. Yes. I was Nina. like, I was like, oh my god, that's that's Nina. Like she's mm -hmm. friends with some of our cast members that I'd never met her. And I was like, oh, yeah, totally starstruck. But I wish that more people had gotten to come see the show because it was a really quick on and off. Because I mean, just the response, like it was so wild to have people come. And see, get those rush tickets and sit like second row. Yeah. You know, like, and moment. you were out on stage, like doing the thing and you see like, oh, there's Brandon Uranowitz. So like, there's so, somebody right mm -hmm. there, second row center, Alicia Umfress, like, oh my gosh, like, I hope this goes well. And just the, the genuine response from people who I respect, you know, in our community who really got it and who were like, this is very special. I'm going to tweet about this. I have to let people know to go and see this. Yeah, really, Twitter was where it it took off. You know, I feel like we had a real foothold there that just didn't quite have time to result in ticket sales, unfortunately. Mm -hmm, totally. I just feel like it's still just so impressive and so awesome. And, and also your journey leading up to it, being an actor in the city, you were still working, but this was like your first big moment, you think, theater-wise? Because you have a lot yeah. of TV credits that we're going to definitely talk about in a second. But hey. I just feel like leading up to Diana, what was that road like? It was a long road. You know, I mean, I am really grateful because I was able to work quite a bit in TV, but I just never broke through in musical theater in that on the Broadway level. I think mm -hmm. that it was just right role, right time. You know, yeah. it was really a, a, the stars aligned. And that's what people always tell you is like, you just got to wait for the right thing. And it really ended up being true. But, you know, even in the pandemic, when we were waiting on the show to come back, I went back to bartending. Yeah. Yeah. So the summer of summer of 21, even though we knew the show was coming back in the fall, I was like, pandemic unemployment is done. I got to mm -hmm. make money. Mm -hmm. So I went back to my day job and I was shaking cocktails at the bar for the company that I worked for for almost 10 years, had a blast. It was a really great experience. But my some of my bar regulars were like, wait a minute, you were on Broadway. And I'm like, yes, I know, man. Did you want another Bloody Mary? Or like, how can I help you tonight? They're like, but you're, you made it. And I'm like, yes. I was like, y'all don't quite understand like the 
the how this really works, but yes, I was on Broadway. Yes, I will be again in a couple of months. But in the meantime, was that shaken or stirred? You know, okay. like, it was it was a lot of that, that is crazy. Okay, before you went back to the bartending in the quarantine, was there anything new you learned about yourself? Because like we weren't a- outside of the Zoom rehearsals you were having. Was yep. there any other new skill you learned? I feel like a lot of the artists and the performers, we all had to like sit on our hands and yep. learn a new thing to pass the time. Did you yeah. learn anything new about yourself? I really learned a lot about rest, which yes. is kind of a funny thing to say, but I actually didn't pick up a new skill. And in some ways that was purposeful mm-hmm. where I was like, you know what? There is nothing to do right now. And you don't need to beat yourself up about that. Mm-hmm. And you can actually sit still and recharge and do some journaling and look inward before you get back to this very, very privileged place that I was I was lucky to be and a place that I had been working towards being mm-hmm. for so long. So I was I felt again like really privileged in the pandemic to know that I had a contract to go back to. Mm-hmm. And oh, there were yeah. even times that where that wasn't guaranteed. We weren't positive when we would go back or if it'd be possible. But I felt very, very lucky to know that there was at least a chance that I would be going back to not only just a job, but like my dream job. Yeah. So I really tried to take the time to get the skeletons out of my closet on my own time because I had it for the first time in in a very long time. And so I learned how to lay down on the couch for the afternoon and like just read a book and like do some journaling, take a walk, drink your water, you know, just sort of reset in a way that I never had given myself the, the time to do. Listen, I have not taken a nap since the world reopened. I, right? and I miss it. <laughs> Amen. It's it is a funny thing to be like. Remember when I you remember quarantine days where you it was bad for you to go outside and you just sort of mm-hmm. cooked a lot and like mm-hmm. slept a lot. Mm-hmm. That was actually pretty good. Like, yeah. Obviously, the world was collapsing and a lot of people were very very ill. Yeah. But there were some positives for those of us inside. It, it was yeah, especially for the busy bodies of artists that live in New York. I mean, when you're yeah, not doing your gig, yeah, when you're not doing your gig, you're at your like day job trying to get the rent paid. So it's just constant moving and you got to walk everywhere and it's public transit. Woo, New York yep. City. <laughs> and then and then we snapped back and we were, you know, just supposed to pretend like it never happened. So it's just Back to full speed. Here we go. Yeah. I was watching a lot of TV over the quarantine. I mean, so much. And I just feel like that's so so awesome that you are here because I love Madam Secretary. So we got to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We got to talk about Boardwalk Empire. We got to talk about the get down. Power. So many. Power. Yeah. I've got it. You know, it's funny. Like, I feel like, like I said, I feel very lucky to have had these little moments on so many very, very cool TV shows. Mm-hmm. And the people that I've gotten to work with along the way are hilarious and, and fun. Also, like my first TV job ever was also Margot Robbie's first job in the States. Wow. So I was on this show called Pan Am that was like yes. going to be like Mad Men in the Sky. It was on mm-hmm. ABC. I and I was on the pilot episode. And they were like, we got this amazing young woman from Australia. We found her off of a tape. Like she, we're so excited to have her. And she was so sweet. But the star of that show was going to be Christina Ricci. Mm-hmm. Like that was the vehicle for Christina Ricci on network television. But then Margot Robbie was there and everyone was like, who is this? Mm-hmm. And so there's, I think there was a photo that ended up in the New York Times of like, the Mike roll was like a newlywed on the plane. And I asked Margot Robbie to take a photo of me and my new bride 
instead of like ordering and she's stressed out because it's her first day on the job or whatever. <laughs> but there's still a photo that was in the New York Times at one point of Margot Robbie taking a photo with an old school camera of like me and Aaron Darkey, who played my wife on the show. Just things like that. Like it's fun to look back and be like, wow, yeah, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. that, I, that was one of the first people to work with Margot Robbie. So I feel very lucky to have this long, but like little, little stints on each project. Like yeah. I, I got to work on Boardwalk Empire, which is such an iconic show. I was on the first, I think it's like the first two episodes of Power, mm-hmm. like season one, which we didn't know what that was going to be at the time. And mm-hmm. it took, took off in such an incredible way. And then Madam Secretary was really cool because my role was just a one episode guest star. I was with them for like not even a week, a couple of days. And it was a really wonderful plot line where Eric Bergen's character, we sort of learned more about him personally and learned that he was bisexual and I was playing his ex-boyfriend and he and sort of his discomfort with revealing to his coworkers his sexuality. And it was a one episode thing and it was really lovely. And I loved working with Eric. I loved working with the team. And then a couple of years went by and I was like, oh yeah, I thought maybe that character would come back. Like it was a cool plot line, but I guess they just moved on and didn't get back to it. And then it came around to be the final season. And we got a call that was like, hey, we want to wrap up Eric's character's plot line with Trevor. So they brought the love interest back and we ended up getting engaged on the show. So it was a really wonderful, you know, I'm on the the serious finale of Madam Secretary and didn't earn my place there at all. I'm just like, oh, that guy from season three is back in season six. (laughs) So I felt very, very lucky to be there. It's a very, very cool community to be a part of. Yeah. I just feel like how awesome is that? I mean, you've also done film, you know, and Netflix, you've, you're, you're no stranger to Netflix at this point. Game over, man. Yeah. Like this is really exciting. But since this is a theater lover podcast, let's talk about the comparison and that journey of doing the filmed stuff versus the stage stuff. Cause you also have credits from second stage and Alliance theater as a child. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> let's talk about the prep from film versus TV. Yeah. I was just talking about this with somebody else and it's, it is a very different medium. It's, it's funny. Like the skill set is not different. You know what I mean? Like the idea on both in both mediums is just, we're just trying to tell the truth, right? Like we're just having a, trying to have honest human reactions in a given set of circumstances and suspend mm-hmm. your disbelief, whether you're on a proscenium stage or whether you're in front of a, a camera lens, like it's mm-hmm. the same idea internally. But I do think that the technique changes outwardly, externally. So like I just saw a show, the Kennedy Center in the Opera House, mm-hmm. and that's a 2300 seat house, huge. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. on the stage are so far away from that first tier of the balcony. It is, you are like way, way, way back. So, you know, you've got to be, and I really don't like this word, but you've got to be bigger. You yeah. know, you've got to make sure that the folks in the top seats know what you're doing. They know what the intention is. Mm-hmm. And so that involves things like, you know, a big cross is super helpful. Some body language is really helpful. You can't do the minutia just in your face. You can't do it with just with the thoughts. You've got to do it physically with your whole body. Mm-hmm. But on camera, you have a privilege where you can just sort of think and react internally because mm-hmm. the camera loves to see that. They love to see the, the what's going on in your eyes, mm-hmm. your thoughts. Yeah, exactly right. You're just trying to think. But the scary thing about that is you've only got about four takes to get it. And so if you've got an emotional scene, you got to be ready when they say go. Mm-hmm. And you don't get the benefit of having the scene before to ramp into your emotion. Right. You're, you're shooting out of context. Mm-hmm. You might've shot the first scene three weeks ago. You might've shot it uh, six months ago. 
but you've got to be ready to go when they say, all right, roll in. Yeah. You don't have a coach on set. Sometimes you do, but you know, in my circumstances, being a three day guest star, you don't have your coach on set. Like you're just yeah. there and it's on you. So the pressure is high, but then the, the bonus of that is once you do it once, it's there forever. Mm. Whereas on stage, you do get the chronological buildup. You do get the live stimulus, but then you got to do it eight times a week mm. and you're hoping you get to do it for a full year. Mm-hmm. So there's pros and cons to both. There's a lot of different stamina. There's a lot of different prep involved. And it really makes me excited to go back and forth. And that really is the dream for me is to be able to move between the mediums yep. and get get to work in both on this level. That was going to be my next question. If you had to pick one in the future, what would you really want to live in? If it's a long Man. gig, you know, they made yeah. it for 10 years on this project. Would Ooh, you rather it be a film tough. thing or a stage thing? That is such a tough question. I know, 10 years is long. Let's say five. 10 years is long, okay. 10 years is long. But yeah, if you're saying like, right, you're going to do a tour of this or you're going to be, you know, it's it's the next like smash it on Broadway two or three years or you're a series regular for two or three years on TV show. Mm -hmm. I think I would probably go TV. I mean, that's, I feel bad saying that in some ways because (laughs) theater is my passion. Yeah. But like theater is a hustle. It is a capital G grind. Yeah. And I didn't understand that going into Broadway, I was like, yeah, I've done off Broadway. I've done this before. Like, you know, but I've never had a run that's like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had a previews process that is like that. Mm-hmm. And I, before I played in the Long Acre, I had never played to a house bigger than like 500 people. And the Long Acre is a thousand, almost, yeah. maybe like nine, nine eighty, mm-hmm. something like that. And so I was shaking in my boots walking out there the first time I was like, oh my gosh, thousand people at one time. This is crazy. So I think that, you know, there's, there's so much joy in both and theater is my, is my passion. But if you, if I really had to choose one or the other, I would say for a long gig, I would I would love to do a series regular on a long running TV show. Yeah. Well, I'm into manifesting and speaking to the universe. So we're going to throw that up to the sky. Yes. I hope it comes out hey, hey. to you. Okay. Thank you so much, Gavin. Yes. <laughs> wow, bro. Okay. So let's talk about this show because we don't talked about your whole life. Are you going to tell us what's the, what's the vibe with you, with your show? You know, August 9th, August 10th, 9th, back back. 54 ooh, below. Ooh, ooh. Yes. It says it's your solo show. It kind of gives a little mystery because like what vibe, what genre, like are there any special guests? What's this set list like? Yeah, there's, I, there's, you know, it's still in process. I'm going to be yeah. totally honest. It's, it's, it's in the works. I'm working with an incredible MD, Ben Rahala, who's, who's <gasps> we wonderful. We love Ben. Yes. He's the, he's the greatest. So we're collaborating on what, what it's going to look like, what the shape is going to be. There are going to be special guests. A few a few invitations have been sent out to these guests. We're still waiting on uh, confirmation for times and dates and avails and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm very excited about the people that uh, I have in mind. I'm hoping that every fingers crossed everybody's able to do it with me. But it's really going to be almost like what this podcast was so far. Like I I yeah. think that my intro to this community has been as a British historical figure from the mm-hmm. 80s. <laughs> And sometimes when I meet people on the street, they're surprised that I'm not British. Wow. You're like, I'm which from is Georgia. sort of <laughs> shocking. I'm like, hello. Uh, <laughs> my grandmother's name was Peaches. Um, <laughs> yes, but, uh, yes, she's the best. Uh, so we are, so I'm talking about trying to introduce people to who I am and where I came from and the differences between the way that I've been seen so far and, and who I actually am. And then, where I'm headed. So mm-hmm. it's going to be kind of a, an introduction to 
me as a person and me as a performer and get to show off a few things that I didn't get to show off in uh, Diana. Yeah, because I forgot to even ask you what kind of music you listen to outside of musical theater. When you're not listening to musical theater, what's the genre? I mean, it's a a lot. I Mm -hmm. I, I honestly am one of those people that likes almost every style of music, including country and like metal music. I really like it all. I'll go. I'll go let's, some metal. I'll go for some on, country. Let's get Row into hip-hop. a metal musical. That would be fierce. <laughs> let's make it happen. Let's do some. <laughs> let's do a. I do think we should do a pop punk musical. It's about time. Okay. Get some para, a Paramore jukebox musical. I'm there. All right. Okay. Let me, I am there. Let me take some notes real quick. <laughs> we read that. Okay. We're manifesting today. We're manifesting. All right. Today. When I'm getting the big trophy on the big stage, I'll make sure to put you in the acceptance <laughs> speech. <laughs> I would love that. I'll be there crying in the in the cheap seats. <laughs> yes. I got oh. the 250 student rush. I got the 250 yes. student rush. The student rush, <laughs> always with the student rush. Well, out of school, still trying to get yes. the student rush. That's uh, we're, I'll be, we're always learning. I'll be able to take it with, sir. I am a student of the world and a student of life. I am always expanding my mind. Yes. Oh wow, bro, yeah. this has been so fun. I feel like I could key with you all day. We do need to do a, yes. two, a part two and a part three. Next time you come do another show, we're going to do this. It's again in the works. Yeah. yeah. We're going to go the deep dives. Yeah. Okay. It's going to get serious. Okay. Serious. Get, <laughs> part two going to be deep. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, do you have any social medias? Let the people know where they I can do. find you. Yeah. It's at Rotramp, R-O-E-T-R-A-M-P on Instagram. And then Twitter is my full name which uh, is, uh, you'll learn how to spell eventually. It's at Rohartramp, which is R-O-E-H-A-R-T as in Thomas, R-A-M as in Mary, P as in Peter, F as in Frank. Mm -hmm. I got a last name like that too. It sounds like it's written. It it makes sense. But I bet your whole life you've gotten a little bit of like... Oh yeah. That'll be in the show as well. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have a, a full uh, like follow the bouncing ball to spell my last name. Here we yes, go. yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Row Hard Tramp, we are so happy to have you. Please don't be a stranger. Everyone, please catch his solo show August 9th and 10th at 9.30 at the one and only 54 Below. I am your host, Kevin Ferguson. It was so nice talking with you, Row. It was a pleasure. All right. We'll catch you all next time. Bye now. See ya. You've been listening to the 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.